Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode two of the most influential podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. My name's Dan Gold, and on each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. Paul is a veteran of the Saskatchewan business and media scene for almost five decades. He has seen and covered more stories than anyone else in this market. Following all of the positive feedback from the first episode, Paul, it is a delight to be with you here on episode two. Well, it's great to be here, Dan. Uh, this is starting to feel comfortable already. I agree. So I'm really intrigued where we are in the world of the relationship between employers and employees and has the dynamic changed and has that been exacerbated by the pandemic? Yeah, I think it has really. Uh, we're starting to see some uh, almost bellwether numbers, I think, and probably the signals were there before and we were paying attention to them, but we really didn't know how to cope with them. We didn't really know what it meant. And I'm not sure we do now. So, uh, but in the absence of some science, let's just make some stuff up. So let's talk about that. But, you know, here's here's kind of what got me thinking about this. We've just seen some numbers uh, from StatsCan on vacancy rates. And uh, employers are simply scrambling to find people to fill vacant jobs. And, you know, we sometimes the economists and some of these will talk about where we are post-pandemic compared to pre-pandemic uh, and where is reopened now compared to where we were before. But one of the things that's intriguing is we're creating a lot of jobs. Employers are scrambling as the economy reopens and, you know, particularly those in the hospitality sector, restaurants, uh, uh, bars, uh, and entertainment venues. They simply can't attract people back to work. And so you have to ask this, the question about what's going on here. So to get the numbers to look at nationally, they, uh, uh, you know, we're up around 5%. BC has got the highest vacancy rate at 6%. Can't simply, cannot get people to come back to work. Saskatchewan is at 42 But this will give you an idea of how this compares. In uh, the end of 2019, so two or three months before pandemic was declared, we were at 2.2. Now we're at 4.2. It's nearly doubled. So what happened through that? And I mean, on one level, you would assume as people went through COVID, you'd if you could hold if you had a job you held it uh simply because there was so much uncertainty and uh you know yeah there was CERB and all that sort of stuff but you didn't know how long it would last and it was a fixed number and uh you know for it was you know probably more than a living wage because a lot of people did actually do pretty well on it but uh you know most jobs you likely were making more than that but those who were in that range you know it caused them in the range of uh, serb being equal to your job i think it caused them to rethink uh what is it i want out of my career what is it i want out of work and um, people who are planning retirement for example just postponed it they just put that on hold well now that we're coming out the other end uh, I think the fear factor's gone a little bit. So those who had planned to retire are. And so there's a vacancy spot that's left open. And we uh, often, these are frontline jobs, and they're often filled by new immigrants, new arrivals in Canada. That kind of stopped through COVID. There was very little immigration going on. So there's another talent pool that disappeared. 
And the final group is the the ones that are you know most intriguing to me is uh, what are they doing here? And is this really about uh, something grander than just the pandemic was kind of put a spotlight on it or maybe magnified it, but it was going on anyway. That made me think about the gig economy thing, and where you know the the rise in popularity of things like Skip the Dishes and DoorDash and Uber and uh, these uh, shared asset uh, companies that people don't sign on as an employee. You just kind of uh, you know you you take work as it comes available if it fits you. Is that the new relationship between employer and employee? And we're also seeing on, so that gives the employee way more freedom. They're not going to hook on with anybody permanently. That drives uh, maybe some problems for employers. Uh, But on the other side, employers are increasingly wanting to embrace this because, you know, they've been finding that payroll loading is a real issue too. Um, And that's not something we talk about. And if you think about this conversation that comes up once in a while around the minimum wage, and, you know, here we are in an election, so uh, affordability and income levels, that kind of stuff comes up. But when we talk about a, a minimum wage, we talk about the wage that is seen in the hands or in the eyes of the worker, but not in the eyes of the employer. So if you want, for example, the big number we kick around these days is $15 an hour. Well, from a worker's perspective, that's what they see. $15 an hour is my target. That's what I'm dreaming about. From an employer's perspective, when you add all the payroll costs of CPP and EI and workers' comp, and if there's a benefits plan, all of that, it's not $15. It's probably closer to $18, $19, or $20. And uh, so employers get a little frustrated, I think, when they see the $15 an hour thing trotted out by a politician or a social justice warrior who who says, that's the number we need. But the employer says, well, hang on, I've been paying 15 bucks already. Now you want to jack it up uh, and add on to it because we don't talk about that. So if an employer is resisting or finding it uh, that the payroll burden is too high, they don't want to put people on the payroll permanently either because they're hard to get off. And uh, if you look at other countries, Australia, Germany, for example, you know, you virtually cannot fire anybody, even without cause. You simply have to declare the job redundant. You have to eliminate the job in order to take a non-performer out of off your payroll. And employers are, are sensitive to that and say, maybe we don't really want to get into a permanent employer-employee relationship. And so those employers are starting to welcome the gig economy kind of thing. Now, I don't think this is all employers. Many of them uh, do like the notion of uh, you know some sense of loyalty and that we're part of a team and that you're here permanently and, and that sort of stuff. But there is a, a part of the economy that is looking for more freedom and flexibility. And the gig economy kind of represents that. But maybe what we're seeing it now is played out in the numbers where we've got vacancy rates rising and employers scrambling to find talent. So there's a real big picture to this um, this overview that you're seeing. There's the chance, as I understand it, for employers to really look at how the budgeting and the, the economy of their business operates. For employees, there's the opportunity for flexibility. But then there's, there's potential knock-on effects as well, because then the question may come into it that where corporations have been almost obsessed about being growing to the biggest, the largest, the greatest, multiple, multiple locations, that mindset could potentially change to downsizing head offices, head offices not really mattering where they are physically, because if you've got a flexible workforce, you don't necessarily need that real estate. 
That's another factor that's working into it. And there is another area called disintermediation where, um, uh, you know, one of the reasons you want to have an employee on your payroll permanently is so that skill sets can be developed and you can create specialties. Uh, if you're just bouncing around from job to job or I don't have anybody who's permanently working for me, I post it, somebody shows up, we're done in seven minutes. Uh, you really don't build any sense of process uh, and you don't sharpen your skills on either side of the either the management or the worker side. But the disintermediation really means that people develop specialties. And so, uh, you know, think about it. I, it was described to me this way as if you go way back when, when uh, personal computers were first invented, IBM made everything. They even, you know, punched out the plastic mold that the, the box that the computer went into. They made the keyboard. They made every aspect of it. And somebody came along and said, you make the whole computer. That doesn't make any sense. I make just the chip. I've got to be better at it than you. And then the next person comes along and says, and you make the whole chip? You can't be as good at it as I am because I do this one little component. And that's the disintermediation pieces that people develop tighter and tighter and tighter specialties. And so they don't necessarily go to work for one company, but they post that I am the best or highly specialized in this one very narrow niche. They bounce around from employer to employer. So uh, there were some who were suggesting this may be the way of the future that you don't really get hired on by a company. You don't end up with uh, benefits or that kind of stuff. But in fact, you are just a, uh, you know, it was a kind of a, a forward thinking view of what the gig economy has turned out to be. And that's interesting because, and I'll leave you with this thought, if we take a step over to Startupville, the podcast we co-produce with Innovation Place, we've spoken to a lot of people who have come back to the prairies from Silicon Valley. And there it's all about get the item made, get it out there, get the iteration, get it made, get it made, get it made, get it out and evolving it. But there's very low organizational loyalty. People will literally every three to six months just go from project to project to project, but they get the output from the company. It doesn't suit everyone, but maybe there really is this big sign of a change and an opportunity for us to learn from what's happening in that tech sector. Yeah, and I think you're, you're, you're onto something there, and it really is just a reflection of a larger uh, transaction, which is this relationship between employer and employee. And it's it might be, in a way, one of those things to be careful what you wish for, uh, because if you make it too stringent and too demanding on either side as it's turning out, there will be resistance and pushback and people will say, no, I need, I, I will trade freedom for security or I'll trade freedom for a pay, uh, higher pay. And, uh, so that the nature of that relationship may well be changing and some of the models and rules and labor legislation that we have is probably going to be out of date uh, when uh, looking at those people. Now, is it going to be 100% of the workforce? No, absolutely not. But it will be a small but vital uh, percentage of the workforce and one that probably is pretty flexible and they're reasonably skilled because they're confident in their own ability and they know they can get work. So they will push it a little bit and they'll bounce around and say, I am, and, and you see it even in, in some of the things where, you know, the management books will tell you today, oh, young people aren't so interested in the pay. They want more freedom and flexibility and work from home and time off for kids and, uh, you know, these kinds of things. It's probably all just a, lar a reflection of something much larger. And what we saw through the pandemic and now coming out with high vacancy rates is this stuff is just being 
exaggerated or uh, amplified a little bit or magnified so we see it a little more clearly. Paul, thank you once again for your insights. Not at all. Take care. And thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Please do share this with your friends and colleagues so that they can get access to the insights that power Saskatchewan.